Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. My name is Stefan Hostetter. Uh, I am one of the, the co-producers of the Stories We Don't Tell. I'm here in studio with uh, Peggy Sue of Peggy Sue Collections. Um, and, and so I'm going to open up the, you've told a couple stories with us. Uh, also, you do other things. This is part of this interview process uh, where we're going out talking to different folks about, the sto- about how storytelling intersects with their life. Um, and, and so the first part of these questions is always, tell us about your life so we then can find out how storytelling intersects with it. Sure. So my life began in Los Angeles, uh, growing up next to the beach, uh, with very little variation to the weather, then to the East Coast, and eventually over the border into the wonderful country of Canada. And here I am creating sustainable fashion that really is a mechanism for telling telling the stories of the lives it, it requires to make garments that people wear in their everyday lives. Okay, uh, so excellent segue, but I'm not going to take the segue yet because I want to know more about what makes your fashion uh, more sustainable than other fashion or sort of more, tell us a little bit about your business before we sort of get into the storytelling part. Sure. So the beauty of these garments is that they represent the lives of those of the makers, of the farmers, of the mills. And in fashion today, it's so easy to buy anonymous apparel and to just incorporate it into our lives with little thought given to the lives required to create it. We think that we live these independent, self-sufficient lives when in fact uh, it requires countries, labor forces, huge environmental swaths of land and, and in many cases pollution to to make garments possible and it's not like we can go around you know living our everyday uh, unclothed huh so in fact within the current confines of society to live a life means that we must live it at the expense of others and that seems like there ought to be a better way to live life that that makes sense uh slightly more pointed question what is it? What are you selling? What could someone buy from you? They could buy clothing in any form, um, specifically women's wear. Uh, so the, the trick is that change happens with women's wear and longevity ends with men's wear. So we are a fashion runway brand. That is how we burst into the Toronto scene, was creating an award-winning runway collection using only Ontario fiber milling and making. And it was really quite incredible because the collection itself won on design merit alone. No one knew that this was from local fiber milling and making. And it wasn't until the win and the interviews that people realized the farmers and the mills and the makers were also in the audience watching these garments go down the runway. So we sell clothing, shirts, dresses, skirts, blazers, tangible pieces that represent a local community of people. Um, we also make bow ties and ties and slippers and belts, vegetable tanned leather belts and five pocket jeans. Would you would you like me to continue well, with good. the minutia? No, that's that's what that's that, that was that was about the number of minutia I was looking for. Mm, great. Yeah. Do now pivot now that we've discovered all of the types of clothing you might make. Um, no, no, make not might. That list is longer. Okay. Oh, oh I see. All right, mm, fine. Mm. Uh, do make 
Um, so how do you see storytelling intersect with this? Clearly, when you talk about your brand and when you talk about the work that you do, you, you emphasize the fact that there's all these other organizations out there that are, that are, that are part of it. You, know, you, you talk about the fact that, like, that fashion traditionally doesn't talk about the stories of the weavers and the stories of the, of the people who make their clothing mm. because those stories are terrifying and bad. Um, whereas you try to emphasize those because your stories are, are ones of, 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 of paying people fair wages, of, of bringing them up. That does that sure. Seem to- Actually, it's it's interesting. So, um, slightly different, as in larger corporations that provide the fashion that we consume are so large, because they have to be, um, because of the product demands and pull through and systems, that people get clumped together in a way that does further their anonymity and their facelessness. And so, when we when we demand products in such such quantity and volume we do essentially erase the humanity behind them because it's not it's not truly about the humans it's about a a larger force of labor um and and growing and so that's that's in fact what we're trying to work against and what's actually quite neat about releasing these stories out unleashing them actually into the known world and the known consciousness is that people in their own lives can only can only take so much humans already as individuals feel so stressed and so overburdened with their own lives let alone all the thousands of lives that their actions are affecting and so the beauty of actually releasing these stories is act- is genuinely how people take these stories the ones they hear how they choose to hear them and then how they tell them back to us how they tell them to other people in their community so what a lot of people have have taught me in fact about these stories is that oftentimes it's it's very little about me telling the story it's rather me giving earnest access to information and people and then allowing for that audience to develop their own relationships and their own connections and then retell them in their own words in ways that are meaningful, impactful, and accessible within their own lives. And that that's actually more beautiful than I imagined possible because the stories of fashion are harsh. They're awful. They're they're dripping with blood and pollution and and climate change and and for most people who feel like they're already drowning in an oblivion of doom, it's quite precious to see where they key into the story, where they find hope, and what anchors them. What is that portion of the story that someone can hear? And then how do they tell it back? Because that tells me what they're listening to, what they can't listen to, what they're ready to hear more of. And and it's beautiful. It's actually um beyond my means as a storyteller and and so it's it's precious to be in a space where i get to see those stories exchanged in a way that surpasses my own personal means to tell a story can you give us an example of one of these stories uh you know yeah i know it's i'll talk a bit longer to give you a second to think about it because i know i didn't prep you that i was gonna ask this question um i didn't prep you to ask any of these questions but yeah like like there's obviously you know the fact that you're bringing these people 
you know all the people who build ever who not build grow or or weave or i don't know enough about fashion to know all the things that go into making anything um do you can tell us a story one of these stories examples of some of the things that come into your work i'm gonna tell you one and a half done so the half when the tfi win was announced and there were people in the definitely gonna have to explain what tfi means when the Toronto Fashion Incubator New Labels Win was announced in go. May of 2016, the articles that went out said, and all the yarn farmers were present for the win, and everyone in the supply chain, chain including the community members who were not a part of the supply chain, were, were so excited by the misnomer of yarn farmer, <laughs> as in, you know, yarn just growing in little cabbage patch rows in fields somewhere that you can pluck from the earth and make sweaters from. Well, it's the yarn ball, right? There's the yarn ball tree. Right, absolutely. You just wait for the yarn to fall and you catch it, and then you yarn. And you just, yeah. That's you, how yarn works. That's how yarn works. So is that not how yarn works? Yeah, you know, shockingly enough, no. Huh. But it, it's a wonderful idea. Um, so I, I'm constantly in search of this yarn, yarn tree. Hmm. Um, so however, in lieu of that, um, it really was interesting to go, wow, okay, we've got to talk about this whole process from, from start up to yarn because people understand yarn into clothing, but they don't understand raw fiber and the milling and the spinning into the yarn. And so the fact that so many people from the supply chain who are truly, that is their part, is raw fiber farming up to the yarn sort of went, oh, okay, we have to speak out about our portion of this process, and we have to do so in a way that is accessible to a larger public. And so a few really special people from the supply chain came to every every event, just incredibly. Um, and one, one farmer in particular, Jennifer Osborne of All Sorts Acre, um, who she is... She is just a, a really remarkable woman. Uh, came to a f- um, fashion group, uh, international and now magazine panel uh, that was over at 192 Spadina, and and really asked this question in combination with a statement in a way that the crowd understood deeply that farmers are uh, very very heavily relying on the consumption of their products by a larger public that farmers grow more than food and and so it was her willingness to to be quite vulnerable in the fragility of her existence and the existence of her business the need for people to actually take the time to understand her story and the work that she's doing and why it's important um that was so remarkably impactful and i've had the story of the people in the audience who heard her words told back to me so many times because the genuine friendship that exists between Jennifer and I was was quite quite palpable in that moment because uh, the audience realized that this incredible farmer who raises sheep all year round for both meat, dairy, and fiber um, is is really knocking herself out. She's doing such a, an incredible job, and she is still, you know, farmers are still susceptible to environmental catastrophe and fluctuation. Um, for us, it's just a snow day, but for her, it's a make sure the animals are still alive day. And it was precious to see a group of people who are urban-centric to understand a whole load of considerations that they would never 
think of any further than a yarn farmer when putting on their sweater. The, so we're coming up to the end of, the, of, of, our, of our time. Uh, but before we throw to uh, what will be a, a story that, that you've told with one of our, one of our stories that you've told, um, we will find out which one when we hear it. The, uh, I want to give a chance to sort of, if people are listening and want to uh, buy into your story, shall we say, uh, how can they do that? How can they find you? They can find us at www.peggysuecollection.com where we have a lot of our story, all of our supply chain, and some of our ties and shirts and scarves and toques and shirts and trousers all up for sale. And the first step is getting to know the supply chain, coming out to an event, and learning about the story. Amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, Peggy Sue, uh, past Peggy Sue telling a story. Take it away. What's this cool, Paul? I don't know, Stefan. This is still Stefan. I know that. Are you Paul? I'm. What are you, Paul? I'm hashtag SWTT confused. I'm also here with Peggy Sue. Hi, Peggy Sue. Hi, Stefan. Oh, or is it Paul? I don't know. Uh, What I do know is I think we're talking about maybe. Are you giving us a discount code? Why we certainly are. This is a very weird time. And and would you just remind us what is that? What is that code again? The code is hashtag SWTT confused. But I don't know how we can use it because I'm confused. Well, that's fair. You're quite a confusing person. And and for the rest of those confused listeners, head down to www.peggysuecollection.com. And when you do check out, after you've selected your bow ties, ties, trousers, blazers, shirts, other types of clothing, put in your discount code, which is... Hashtag SWDT confused. And receive a 15% discount on your order. Thank you. Peggy Sue, everybody. I was standing still as a whir of travelers packed into the Denver International Airport. And one by one, the airport shuttle buses passed me by as travelers rushed off to find their flights. But finally, a bus lingered at its stop. It, it looked like everyone had gotten off. And I was, I was caught by the pause in the rhythm. Odd, hmm. but you know what was odd when the past 10 months had been a gush of emergencies and last minute flights. But today, today I had a plan and everything was fine. And as I stood waiting, out pops this woman, swaying down the stairs, steadied by the rail she firmly grasped for, hair slightly askew, clothing a little too loose, who called out my name, Peggy Sue. Her joy was evident. She knew me, loved me, saw me, but who was she? Well, I was destined for Oklahoma. Two weeks, all expenses paid, I was going. Uh, It was going to be a timely vacation, and God did I need it. Uh, My soul was so wretched tired. Uh, Did you pack a Halloween costume? Because we're going to be there for Halloween, and you have to have a costume. Oh, would you pack one for me as well? And so with our Halloween costumes packed, along with the materials to crochet 60 scarves to fill new pending orders for my startup company, I waited. But where was she? Peg! It came at me like a dagger. Her face was not familiar. It was sallow. 
Her eyes were beyond dilated. She had one of those gluey, happy smiles as the lines of her muscles just pulled tight across her face. A vibrant vacancy to her eyes. And her hands were so thin. And her body so fragile as a porter helped her into her wheelchair. Mom? Or rather important of my mother, a woman once over 300 pounds who could hug you like a freight train, now enfolded me in her spindly arms. And as happiness emanated from her, my reinforced facade of fine cracked. And my precarious balance began to falter entirely. And I hugged this stranger with everything I could, hoping that if I cloyed harder that I might be able to bring forth more of the woman who I knew to be my mother. Nothing. Vacancy. We were headed to the Cancer Treatment Center of America. Ten months fighting stage three pancreatic cancer. Terminal illness. And as I pushed the wheelchair forward into the chaos of the airport, I found myself piling on more armor while my insides were just sliding out behind the chinks, tears flowing uncontrollably down my face while I barred my soul in silence, my vision collapsing as we tunneled forward. And all I can think is, how the fuck did this happen? When did this happen? She was fine when I left just a few weeks ago. Why is she so high? What drugs is she on right now? Is she okay? Can she fly? She's so fragile. Who do I call to help me? Who knows what's happened? Where the fuck is my mother? Who is this person? And all the world, this onslaught of busy travelers, seeing, but not understanding, this wildly happy woman being pushed through the airport by a crumbling person who was silently sobbing with every step forward. I couldn't see them through my bleary vision. could only feel the pressing and the probing eyes of hurried travelers looking at the sight knowing something is deeply wrong. Or was it? We were invisible in a bubble of broken and no one could help us cared to help us. And as I'm pushing my mother forward through this tightening tunnel of eyes, I keep my voice pitched positively. The whimper out of my voice as I breathe deeply and I play along. Because she wants to be happy. She is happy. We're going on an adventure. Just the two of us escaping on a magical holiday. We get to airport security, and I am shocked back into reality. ID and ticket, please. Right, airport security. They need those items to allow you on board. Allow you on board. And all I can think is, can't you see this woman is not well? Can't you see she is moments away from dying? You want our fucking ID? Just let us onto the damn plane. She may not even make it to the gate, let alone through a flight. Holy shit. 
would they even let us onto the plane like this? But we have to get on that plane. I have to get her to this cancer treatment center. The people here are useless. Do you see what they did to her? What they let her become? How the hell did she get released from a hospital for this trip? Where's the manager of this shit show? I need to throttle them. And as I hand over ID and tickets, my mother begins to tell the officer about the incredible adventure she is about ready to embark upon with her daughter. It's going to be magical. To which the officer gives me a look of blank dismissal. Doesn't even look at my mother. And I smile wide through my river of tears and I say, yes, we're going on a trip to the Cancer Treatment Center of America. A mother-daughter adventure. And I look at them pleading, play along. Please pretend that I am fine. This is fine. Help me keep her happy. And as my mom begins to take note of the officer's cold, bewildered facial reaction and begins to turn towards me, I push us into the line for metal detection, avoiding her glance with the forward motion. And my cracked facade fails entirely. Shit. I'm losing it. Shoes off. Quivering voice, belt, laptop, whimpering sobs, meds out. Does she have meds in her carry-on? Liquids out. I can't see anything anymore. Okay, it's all in the belt. And as I turn her chair to the detector, the officer doesn't even look at my mother. Doesn't even acknowledge her presence, that she is still alive just shifts their head up to mine over my seated mother gives me an oblique look and states ma'am she has to get out of the chair and walk through the detector and in that moment of brash humanity I lose it I quietly respond through clenched teeth she has to get out of the chair and all I can think is, she can't get out of the chair. She can't walk through the detector. Why do you think we have this thing? She's dying, you asshole. Let us on the goddamn plane. And as I inhale, ready to verbally scythe the flesh off of this shitty human being to release the flooding tides of vitriol, hate, and loathing of the pitiless world and how unfair it is, my mother turns to me and sees my broken face for the first time, touches it with a thin finger. What's wrong, Peg? Don't be sad. Everything's fine. I can walk through. And somehow her words of assurance cut deeper into me. And I think, no, Mom, you're not okay. Everything is not fine. It is wrong. This is wrong. We should be leaving. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be leaving home. We should stay. We should hide away from everything. And as people behind us in line are just jumping past us to go through the detector, this fragile woman tethered together by sheer will and delusional happiness pushes out of this chair. And I slowly hold her up 
and begin to walk her through the detector. And I position my body against the line of rushing travelers to protect this beautiful creature as she precariously totters through the detector. And as I follow behind her, I walk slowly through, looking back at the selfishly unaware travelers, forward to the stone-faced officer. And I think to myself, bring it the fuck on, you shitty world. This is my mother. She is my mother. And we are on a fucking adventure. And everything will be fine. Subscribe to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about the podcast, blog, and live events, find us on Facebook or visit storieswedonttell.org.